The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called, to them, he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. And if it's your child's first time, um, please make sure you go with them so they can get checked in. Thank you, Sydney. We do continue our study of Mark, and um, Jesus continues to be uh, different than we've expected him to be, and that was the experience of those who were there at that time. They had in mind, each one of them, what they thought the coming Messiah would look like, and, and Mark takes great care to smash to bits all of their false expectations of Jesus. And in doing so, he really helps smash to bits all of our false expectations of Jesus. And so um, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, My son, Knox, goes to a Chattanooga Christian school. And recently, I took Knox and Cormac and Carson up to Covenant College to watch the Lady Scots uh, trounce another team in soccer. And that was really fun. And as we were watching and cheering for the Lady Scots, uh, we looked down, and if you've ever been there, there's sort of a a railing that keeps the field separated from the fans. And the guys normally hang over the railing, and they laugh and joke and and they jeer at the refs, and it's really fun. And um, Knox is kind of seeing them all there together, having fun and enjoying each other. And just out of nowhere, he goes, man, I wish CCS was a boarding school. (laughs) Well, thanks, dude. Just itching to get out of the house already at 12 years old. Um, But what caught his attention is that he could see that those guys belonged to each other, that there was a place in their world for each other. And that's sort of what we find here in this passage. 
is that surprisingly, the insiders are out and the outsiders are in and belong. And we'll look at that this morning together. So would you pray with me? And I'll ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit, and we ask that both would be powerfully at work on our hearts this morning. That um, we'd be changed, transformed. And it doesn't happen as fast as we would like it to. We could see a difference in 24 hours. We ask that the regular process of surrendering ourselves to your word and your spirit would transform us as a community over time. That we would be a family and a healthy one. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I was just finishing seminary in 2009, I had finished a divinity degree and was finishing up a counseling degree. And it was two, 2008 had come, and so a lot of places were shutting down their job descriptions. Like they posted them on the internet, pastoral positions, and then taken them back down and said, you know, we're not going to be able to afford that. We didn't make budget. And so it was not a great time to come out of graduate school. And then I finally saw on sort of like the Covenant Seminary list of jobs, one popped up in my own city in St. Louis where we already lived in Webster Groves. And it was the director of care and counseling. And I was like, this is it. There's no jobs out there. And in my own city, director of care and counseling, and I've just finished a counseling degree. And so I thought, I won't tell any of my friends about it so that I can get this job. And I walked through the process. I applied. They phone interviewed me. They personally interviewed me. Then they interviewed me and Aaron. And it was down to two of us, two candidates. And I didn't know who the other person was, but I was praying that they might get hit by it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't know who the other person was. Aaron and I interviewed, and of course, they loved Aaron. They're like, yeah, you're fine too. And I waited on the call. And I remember where I was standing just outside of the chapel at Covenant Seminary because my phone had rang, and it was the director of the search committee. And so I ran out of chapel and ran out the back. And of course, I didn't answer the phone because I'm a millennial. But I waited for the voicemail. And it said, Jared, we're so grateful for your application. Thank you for your effort. The committee has decided to go another way. I can still tell you where I was standing when that happened. That sense of rejection. I have tried I've given effort. I have worked so that you would take me seriously and someone kindly looking at you and going, you are not enough. Maybe you've experienced that before for a job or maybe in a relationship or maybe in a marriage or maybe just that sense from God that you've tried to be a good person, you've tried to start doing good things and stop doing bad things, and it's as if God has looked at you and said, good try, but it is not enough. We all know that terrorizing feeling of rejection. This morning, we've glanced together, and we'll see 
the surprise of surprises that the insiders who Jesus' family and Jesus' religious family were the likely insiders actually end up on the outside and the outsiders who are a mess and sinners, morally bankrupt, that they actually end up on the inside. Insiders are out and the outsiders are in in Jesus' economy. So let's look at it together. First of all, some people try and take charge of Jesus. Look with me in verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now this is one of these verses we just kind of run past in the gospels like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus has been standing against demons. He's been confronting religious leaders. He's been healing the lame and the blind. And he's gathered crowds who are so large that they'll push against him. In fact, when he and his disciples go in to grab a meal together, they can't even eat because there's so much attention surrounding Jesus. And his mom and brothers say, it's too much, Jesus. This agenda that you have for yourself, it's too much. You're out of your mind. Don't go pick a fight with the Pharisees. Don't stand and shout down demons. Don't exhaust yourself on the crowds and on the healings. It's too much. Your agenda is wrong, Jesus. The reason that that applies so closely to us is is that there is a, a, a way in which we wouldn't say out loud, Jesus, you're out of your mind, but there is a way in which we would look at what the Bible says to us, what the Holy Spirit taps on us, and say, that is too much to ask, Jesus. It's too much. It's too personal. It's too invasive. It's none of your business. Jesus, you get on my agenda I don't want to get on yours. Macklemore, who is one of my favorite rappers. I have a favorite rapper. In one of his songs, he's talking about the Bible and how it doesn't quite apply anymore. And he says, we paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. And what he's saying is, is that's old stuff. There's a new morality. There's a new way to live. We paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. He's talking about the Bible. I mean, I'm not going to let this, this set of principles rule my life nowadays. I'm not going to actually submit myself to something so old about sex and the proper use of it. Or money. I mean, that's old stuff. I'm not going to actually submit myself to what the Bible says about money. This is old. We're basically saying Jesus' agenda can't be trusted, just like his family. And we're saying, so, yeah, we like Jesus, just not all of it. Not all of the stuff. 
We don't want to be ruled. Jesus' family didn't want to be ruled. They wanted to rule him. And we don't want to be ruled. Jesus, I like the stuff about grace. I like the stuff about loving the poor. But you can keep this other stuff to yourself. It's 3,500 years ago. We don't like to be ruled. All of us have that in us. My son Cohen, who is the youngest of my hundreds of children, is um, stubborn, like his father. And in fact, uh, when you tell Cohen something that he doesn't like, he'll first look at you like he's sizing you up. And then he will cross his arms and say, no. And then when you make a move towards getting him, scooping him up, he will run out the front door, cross his arms, and sit down in the middle of the street on the yellow line and say, I'm going to get hit by a car. Where do they get this stuff? What is on Daniel Tiger these days? I promise you, Aaron and I do not go sit in the street. No. I'm going to go hit by a car. And we smile and smirk at that, but there's a side of which when Jesus says, I have total rule over your life, that you go, no, not this area. So the question to you, what are the areas in your life, if you're honest, that you have no intention of obeying Jesus? What are the areas of your life in your world that you have no intention of obeying Jesus? I have them. For me, one of them is speeding. Romans 13 says, submit yourselves to your authorities. And I'm like, nah. It's only breaking the law if they catch me. I have no intention of obeying God and submitting to authorities in that aspect of my life. There's another way, in forgiveness. Someone wounds me once, okay, yeah, I'll forgive them. If someone wounds me again, okay, I'll forgive them, but I'll pull away a little bit more. If someone wounds me again, I start to say, no, I know you say I have to forgive my brother 77 times or 70 times seven, but I don't want to. Let them feel the consequences of their actions. I don't want to forgive, and so I'm not going to. And there are aspects in your life too where you know what the Bible says and I'm talking to people who are following Jesus, that you know what the Bible says and you have no intention on following Jesus in it. Do you at least know where those are in your life? That you could ask the Spirit for fresh sorrow over your sin, fresh repentance? We don't like having Jesus be in charge of us. We want to be in charge. What are the areas in your life that you want to take charge of your life instead of let Jesus rule over you. So some try and take Jesus and get him on their agenda like his family. Others just try and avoid what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying that he is. Look with me in verses 22 through 29. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul. And the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. 
And if Satan has risen up against him, excuse me, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he indeed may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. We have Jesus' family trying to take charge or seize Jesus from his agenda. And then here we have people who are doing whatever they can to avoid Jesus and his claims. Whatever they can to avoid Jesus and his claims. And in just a moment, we'll deal with the unforgivable sin part, because I know when we read a passage like that, you're like, well, you, you need to tell us what that is so that we don't do that. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want you to see just exactly what it is that they're doing. He is bringing the kingdom of God to bear. And that means that evil is being stomped out and eradicated. In fact, he's sending demons running. And he's telling them to be quiet and they have to obey. And the Pharisees are so sick of him and his power and his authority and his comments about himself. They're so sick of him that they try to avoid him. Avoid his claims, avoid his power, avoid becoming his people. They are trying to avoid Jesus. Others want to take charge of him. They just want to be dismissive about him. Don't listen to him. He's nuts. And that's honestly one of the things that we do. We want to avoid aspects of Jesus that we don't like. We want to avoid aspects of Jesus that we don't like. We think there are things that we like, Jesus. We like that grace stuff. We like the love the poor stuff. We like that you'll be our comforter and encourager stuff. But we don't like the other stuff. There's things about you, your exclusivity, about how hard it is to be a disciple. We don't like that stuff. And we act as if we're at one of those burrito places like Moe's or Mojo or Qdoba or... I, I clearly know a lot of burrito places. And we're like, yes, yes, give us some of that. Ooh, not, not none of that. Ooh, yes, I'll take double of that. But, ooh, teaching on money and sexuality, no. None of that. And we act as if we come to Jesus at some sort of buffet or cafeteria line and we get to pick out and that's what they're doing here. Jesus, you can teach as long as you don't mess with our agenda. You can heal as long as you're not making yourself too famous. And we are like them, avoiding who he says that he is. And there's some of us here like that. Some of us who say, I really like Jesus. He seemed to be a good guy, have a good heart. He seemed to do some good things. I'm not sure that you can say that Jesus is God or that his claim to be God that not everybody has to get on to that page, but generally speaking, he, he's a good guy and avoid his claims about himself. C.S. Lewis very famously dismantled that entire piece. He said this, and I know it's hard to, be listen, hard to be read to, but please listen. Jesus told people their sins were forgiven. 
This makes sense only if he was really the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. I am trying here to prevent anyone to saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Please listen. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Listen to Lewis. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his greatness as a human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What that means is is that you take Jesus on his terms or you don't take Jesus at all. You can try and control his agenda and it won't work just as his family did. You can try to avoid Jesus' claims just like the Pharisees did and attribute it to something else and it won't work. What are the ways that you try to avoid dealing with who Jesus says that he is and who you are, that Jesus says that you are? And then I'll deal with this briefly. The um, unforgivable sin. There's really... uh, in our world, there's really like two main thoughts about that, and they're related. Um, It's sort of, instead of them being opposites of each other, it's more like a spectrum of what it means. But essentially, the unforgivable sin is that you persist in unbelief until you die. So no Christian can be guilty of the unforgivable sin because you don't persist in unbelief. You at some points and many points... Oh yeah, I do believe. Oh yeah, I do believe. Oh yeah, I do believe. So it's not a sin that a Christian can be guilty of. The other thought is that it's sort of attributing the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus to demons. And so that's a more formal side of it. Anywhere from unbelief is the unforgivable sin, meaning not becoming a Christian is the unforgivable sin. Or saying, looking at God at work powerfully in an informed way and saying that's the devil. That's sort of the spectrum that it has here, is that these guys have seen him have power. They're not debating here whether or not he has power. They're just saying this power comes from the devil. They're saying we refuse to believe this is of God. We refuse to believe this is of God. And so you can try and control his agenda, or you can try and avoid him. Or you can believe in him. And that's our last thing. You can believe in him. Look with me in verses 31, 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting there around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my God, he is my brother and my sister, and my mother. It seems like Jesus is kind of being cruel here. His mom and brothers and sisters try and come and rescue him, really try and get him under control, seize him, and instead he's like, nah, these people are, this is my new family. 
The reason that he does this is because he wants it to be clear that if you think you're an insider, you're probably an outsider. And if you feel like you're an outsider, those are exactly who Jesus will welcome in. You know, the the likely people, the insiders, were supposed to be his natural family or his religious family, the Jews. And he's saying, the people who are my family are ones who sit and listen and believe and obey. And I want to deal with that part because I know it's scary. Some of you heard it. It says this, Here my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And thought, okay, so you can't control Jesus and you can't avoid Jesus, but if you're going to be one of his mother or brothers or sisters, you've got to do the will of God. There it is, Christianity. Clean yourselves up. You've got to obey. And so Jesus knew that they would be stressed about that. And John, his, his disciples come to him concerned, and they say, what, what, what work, what work must we do to do the work God requires? Do you remember what Jesus said? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work and the will of God, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Not that he's some angsty 30-year-old that needs to be controlled by his family. Not that he's some devil worshiper or demon or that he's some distraction, but to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And who does he say he is? He says the Savior of sinners and the Son of God. These, These disciples, remember we talked about them. They're nobodies. They're moral failures. They put their foot in the mouth all too often. They're self-serving. And they're the ones sitting around him. And they're safe to sit around him because they believe. Even through failure, this is the one whom God has sent. I was talking with a friend this week, somebody who's wrestling with their faith and not sure they believe. And we were talking about the recent fallen pastors in the news and I don't need to use their names, you know who they are. And she said to me, no, I know that, that it's sad, but in your heart, in your heart, Jared, you know at least that you're not like them, right? You know in your heart that you're not like those guys. Now, Before I tell you my response, I want to tell you that the abuse of any kind is despicable and never to be tolerated or excused. But hear what I said. You know in your heart, Jared, you're not really like that. You're not one of those guys. And I said, I think what I believe is that I'm more like them than I am like Jesus that I believe not in myself, but in the one who came, the one who came for nobodies and mess-ups, the ones who can't get it together, the ones who are sick and not healthy, the ones who are weak and not strong. I don't need to try and control Jesus because I can't. I don't need to avoid Jesus because it's the outsiders who get to sit at his feet as insiders because Jesus loves outsiders. 
Jesus loves those who know that they're not very much like him. Did you see it in there? It's so beautiful. It says, all sins will be forgiven them and blasphemies. It means whatever you've done, you in this room, friend, the stuff that you wouldn't even let yourself utter aloud to another person, the things that only you know about, the things that you have said and done, the experiences that you've given yourself to, and the self-loathing that you've embraced, all of those things, he says, all of it will be forgiven them. But those that believe that Jesus is the sent one of God, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, we all want to control Jesus. They wanted a rescuer from Rome or a good teacher, but not a troublemaker. We want Santa Claus in the sky, somebody who will comfort us, never ask us to do anything hard. Friends, Jesus comes on his own terms, but when he does, the outsiders become insiders. We'll close here. One of my children um, just found out this week that during, after basketball, two long days of tryouts that he had prepped for and we were all praying for, we pulled up. I know what's coming when I see him open up the door to school and march quickly to my car. And just before he gets to the car, he looks in my eyes and I can see they're filling with tears and he shakes his head. He did not make the team. And he gets in the car. I put my hand on his chest. I say, I'm so sorry, man. And he said, I didn't make it. And he bursts into tears. I said, I love you. I'm so sorry. We all know that feeling of being rejected, being observed and scrutinized and then been told you're not enough. A few days after the tryouts and after he found out he didn't make it, I just checked on him and I said, hey, how are you doing? I know that's hard. I've been there. And he said, you know what, Dad? It's the strangest thing. I'm not sure I've ever had an experience like this. When you try so hard for something for so long and that you get told you don't belong, I can't stop thinking about it. You know that feeling, friends. And I said, I get that, son. And I'm sorry that you've had that experience. And forgive me if this is not what you want to hear right now. But the gospel is the opposite of rejection. Rejection says, we've looked at you long and hard and you are not what we want. And the gospel says, we want you. You belong with us. He said, I know, Dad. Friends, the gospel looks at you. Jesus looks at you and says, you belong with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we do try and control you and control your word to make it fit into our lives more comfortably. We try to avoid you and avoid the hard sayings of the Bible. Instead, give us the faith and the spirit to just believe that you are the one who was sent as the Son of God and Savior of sinners. Help us to believe that even though we're outsiders, because of you, we are welcomed in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen faith in the spirit to just believe 
that you are the one who was sent as the Son of God and Savior of sinners. Help us to believe that even though we're outsiders, because of you, we're welcomed in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.